Well, praise the Lord. Thank you. Please be seated. Um, as the last slide showed, nothing means more to us than prayer. I'm so grateful for Faith Chapel. I'm so blessed to be your missionary. You are a generous, generous church. You support many missionaries around the world, many raised up here uh, in this local assembly. I thank God for the team of people who pray daily, pray regularly, um, faithfully give so the work can go on. So I'm deeply grateful. If you want to know more about Missio Global Ministries, we do have a table uh, in the foyer with some literature on it, some, another video playing. Also tonight, there's a meeting at the church at 5 o'clock sponsored by uh, Bob and Judah Davis. You can come to that. They're having some pizza, I understand. Tomorrow night, uh, Tim and Veronique Bennett have opened up their house at 7 o'clock. And Bennett's wave at them so they know who you are. Where you at, Bennett? Some, one Bennett? There's a Bennett. There, there, back there. Look back there. there. You'd love to have folks in your house tomorrow night, right? And hear more about Missio. So thank you for opening your house uh, for us. Let's look to God in prayer. God, we're moved by the cultures of the world where the battles are raging for the souls of men and women, of boys and girls. God, your heart is that none should perish, but all might have life. And God, I take your word, O oh God, this day, sow it into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we don't want to do anything without you. It's in you we live and move and have our being. God, take this word by your spirit, sow it in our hearts, the truth of the word of God, that hearts, lives, minds will be transformed by the living power of Jesus Christ. We ask it in his amazing name. Amen and amen. It was called the Pledge. No, not some kind of spray to polish your furniture. But we called it the Pledge. In the fall of 1966, sensing a call of God to ministry, I applied for Bible College. It was accepted, exciting to see the acceptance letter come. And then documents came and all these things. And in came one particular document that really surprised me. I wasn't aware of this kind of thing at all. And the document said, now as a student of Philadelphia College of Bible, we have standards of Christian living for you to live by that you must agree to to be a student in our Bible college. And here were some of the things that were on this statement. I will not smoke cigarettes. I will not drink any alcohol. I will not go or be involved in any kind of dancing. Um, I will not um, play, use playing cards. I will not go to the theater. I will not go to any movie. Now, many of those things were kind of strange for me, but I wanted to go to Bible school. A lot of things I read in the Bible I didn't see, but they must have a good reason for this standard of living. So uh, in Bible college, we call it the pledge. We had to pledge ourselves for the four years to not indulge in any of those things that were considered, stand those days, standards of Christian living. When we got to Bible school and we were sitting in classes, 
we always had questions for uh, the school. And, Professor, show me about movies in the Bible. What about the theater? You know, and their explanation for playing cards was kind of interesting that each card represented the devil was there, was this card. Anyway, but there was always a standard explanation. Uh, uh, Professor, Billy, there could be a Billy Graham movie in the theater. Why can't I go? And they say, well, that movie theaters are a place of, you know, it's a sinful place. And what would happen if you were watching a movie in a theater and Jesus would come? You wouldn't want to be there, would you? That was kind of a standard explanation. But you have to understand, in those days, there was, I'm going to call it rapture fever. Or we were so expecting Jesus to come that you're always on the lookout. My professors would say, we know that Jesus is coming in our lifetime. We know it. But they were wrong. There were multimillionaires made in those days of people writing books of explaining every prophetic event. They were wrong. If those things didn't happen. Let me contextualize that. Can I give a little warning? Be careful of authors that have figured everything out that taking every contemporary event or some um, physical phenomena and have it all figured out for you. I've been at this thing for 50 years. They've all been wrong. And there are many millionaires as a result. Some of you I've made mad. I'm at the age I really don't care. (laughs) But... This idea of living in the expectation of the Lord's return came back to me in this scripture reading. Uh, When I was uh, invited to preach here, kind of self-invited, to preach here, but uh, accepted, that didn't sound all right. But thank you for allowing me to preach. I saw on Facebook that there was a series on 1 John. So I I wrote to Pastor Jim, and we, we communicated some way, and said, would you like me to preach a different message or would you like me part of the series? He said, be part of the series. I said, great. What chapter? He said, 1 John chapter 3. I said, well, great. One of my favorite verses is in that section. So let's take our Bibles and let's look at part of this chapter together. Because the idea of expecting Jesus every moment of every day was revisited in my study of this text. 1 John Chapter 3, and really the the context of chapter 3 starts in verse 28. The chapters, as you know, and verses were added later, so they're not always at the right places. So so really the subject starts in 1 John 2, 28. Look at your mobile device or your tablet or your uh, print ink Bible. You got it? Verse 28. And now, dear children, writing to believers... Continue in him, remain faithful, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before at his coming. So the question I ask is, will I be ashamed at his coming? We can be ashamed if we're not ready for his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of God. If you're born again, There's a different life. Chapter 3, 1. 
I love this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, subject in itself, that we should be called the children of God. He's our Father, we're children. And that is what we are. We're children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Verse 12, verse 2, that is, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But when we know that when Christ appears, second time in this passage, Christ appears, He returns, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And then verse 3, all who have this hope in Him purify themselves. That this expectation of His return leads to a personal holiness and purity. We'll look at that in more detail in a bit. And the rest of this passage deals with the fact that if you're born of God, then there's a difference in your life. You're living a life of, of, of holiness and purity before God because a Christian does not continue to sin if they're a true Christian. That's what's said here. Verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you, but, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. It's just not fire insurance. And in him is no sin. Now, one who lives in him keeps, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin either has seen him or know him. That's kind of serious warning. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born will continue, born of God, that is, will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning. Because they've been born of God. Here's our test. This is how we know who is the children of God, not just because they say so, or and are who are the children of the devil. We have two families. Either the family of God, the family of the devil. Anyone who does not what is, what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister, which is an intertwining theme all through 1 John of this loving all people of all cultures. We must be people of love. There's no room for prejudice ever in the believer's life. So twice in this passage, it talks about when he appears. It's referring to the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, it seems to me over the last 40 years that the way I was raised and this idea that always be prepared for Jesus to come, be ready. We don't hear much about anymore. As I read this scripture and studied it, I was reminded of how much the Bible says about the return of Christ. Now, we know that Jesus Christ came in the incarnation as a baby in Bethlehem. He lived a sinless life. He died upon the cross. He rose from the dead. After his resurrection, he ministered on this earth for 40 days. Call that the post-resurrection ministry. And then he ascended to heaven. But before he left, he gave us these words. In fact, he told, the, he's told his followers that he'd be leaving. And he says this, If I go to prepare a place for you, 
We're glad about that, preparing that place in glory. I will come back and take you to be with me that, we're, that you also will be where I am. And then the very end of the Bible, a few verses before the very end of the Bible, we see the words of Jesus in Revelation saying, yes, I am coming soon. So Jesus Christ left this earth. He's returning to this earth. He promised, gave us his word, that he would come back again to our earth. Now, my father served in World War II. I'm so glad for his service to our country and all you veterans that have served our country. My father spent a lot of time in Australia preparing to go following Douglas, General Douglas MacArthur into the Philippines to retake the Philippines. He was in a support group that followed uh, in uh, to the country. When Douglas MacArthur was in the Philippines in the early days of the war, he was forced out to leave. Loved the Filipino people and just destroyed him to see their island being taken over and controlled by an enemy force. But he promised the people of the Philippines. He said this, I shall return. He gave his word to them. He would come back and liberate them from oppression. Now, as the war progressed and the United States went into island hopping on its way back to defeat Japan, in that process, the president, the leading military leaders told MacArthur, forget the Philippines. It's not important. It's inconsequential. We want to leap ahead. We don't want to go there. It'll all take care of itself as we get to Japan. And MacArthur said, no. He fought, he battled, said, I gave my word to the Filipino people that I would return. And he won the day and did just that. But I have a memento of that. My father gave me. My father's been gone 26 years. But he had something I'll never forget because he told the story that before they went to the Philippines, MacArthur had big planes fly overhead of all the troops. And they dropped out little tiny packages of Lucky Strike Cigarettes. Little short ones, little small ones. To all the troops. And I still have those to this day. And on the back was a quote that said, I shall return, Douglas MacArthur. All the troops knew that he would honor his word and they would follow him in to the Philippines. Jesus gave us his word. That he will return to this earth. Now, we talked about the ascension a few moments ago. Uh, I like to kind of visualize Scripture. So Jesus raises from the dead. That's pretty spectacular. He goes in through doors and, and appears before the disciples. He's got this resurrected body. Still the signs, of course, of the, of the scars to prove it, it, was, it was he. But now he teaches for 40 days. He now gives them the great commission for the fifth time. Every gospel now acts, witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, take the word everywhere. And then his body is like a Saturn V rocket lifting off. I mean, can you imagine the astounded look of the 11 that were gathered around him? I can't imagine. Until a cloud, you, you, you covered him. So the Bible gives us a Greek word that means their eyes were glued. They couldn't stop looking like saying, what was that? <laughs> I 
And then some angels had to kind of get their attention, these angelic messengers, and tell them, you know, guys, what you just saw, you know, you're going to see the return flight. There's going to be another splashdown, so to speak. So men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? You know, they're just like, I I mean, I just can't imagine. What was that? Just got to be an amazing sight. You know, today we have jetpacks, right? Back then, no. Why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. How did Jesus go into heaven? A physical body, a glorified body, but a physical body. And, and it was visible. They could see him. So he will be seen uh, in the return back to earth. So there is this promise of his return. You know, some say, well, he already came spiritually. No, the scripture's clear. A visible bodily return of Jesus Christ. Now, this theme is all through the New Testament. You could hardly read any book of the New Testament or any author that does not speak about this glorious hope, this return of Christ, to be ready, to be, to be eager for the return of Christ, whether it's Peter or whether it's Paul or whether it's Titus or whether it's James. They all are saying this great event, this is, this, it's going to end life as we know it. It's coming. So Paul writes to Titus these words for the church and believers. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this great theme is that Jesus is coming back again. It's packed in, in Jesus said it. It's an act. It's an, almost every New Testament book is a major Bible theme. And back in my early Christian days when we had that expectancy so much everywhere that Jesus was coming. There were so many songs that were written that we used to sing about it. Uh, a contemporary author back in the uh, 60s and 70s, John W. Peterson, uh, wrote, a, wrote a, a song called Coming Again. It went, some of it went like this. Marvelous message we bring. Glorious carol we sing. Wonderful words of the King. Jesus is coming again. Maybe morning. Maybe noon. It may be evening. Maybe soon. Coming again. Coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. Now, to give a summary then of what we see the Bible speaking about, the return of Christ, we see, first of all, it's one of the most significant and important teachings of the New Testament is this return of Christ. His return will utterly change everything as we know it. Things will never be the same. Now, we are living in a biblical time period between the time Jesus ascended to heaven and the time that he returns. We often call that the age of the church. It's the age of God's plan for the church to expand his kingdom everywhere around the world, to obey his great commission and take it to every person on the planet. That's our age. So we have local churches like this, those that you saw in the video, all around the world. It's God's plan and purpose. When the Lord returns, though, because nothing will ever be the same again. 
when that happens. Destruction of sin. The Son of Man will send out His angels and will weed out His kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. Now, if you follow the news at all, there are many people that are losing a lot of sleep over being exposed by their names being broadcast. 37 million subscribers to a website called Ashley Madison. If you follow the news at all. Where it's the site, if, you want to, if you're cheating on your spouse, or you want to cheat on your spouse, you go there and you meet people and you discuss it and you share trashy pictures and now some key people have been exposed. Even leading Christian leaders already. And there's millions of names. Who knows what will be exposed? When Christ comes to destroy all evil, I mean, can you imagine all the server farms all popping and exploding of all the filth? It's going to want to destroy all evil. Now, I have to just say, some of you right now are trying to put me into a little chart that you've studied and wonder where I stand on that chart, Right? All the authors, all the radio speakers, people that are speaking about events that are happening. I'm not going to any of that. As I said, over 40 years, I've read the books, heard the teaching. All they were all wrong about specific events. So I want to be a generalist with you today and say, Jesus is coming. Here's what he's going to do. You... Be careful that you are not led astray. Stay in the Word of God. But there's also this transformation of our bodies, and that's why I love verse 2, especially the older I get. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be will, has not yet, been, not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, His body, for we shall see Him as He is. We have this hope we purify ourselves. Often at funerals, pastors will, at a graveside, will read from 1 Corinthians 15. I often did it. That this corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on uh, immortality. We will be changed. That we'll have a, a body like Jesus's, this glorified body, without sin, without sickness, without all the frailties of the aging process. I heard the word about the back today. In Africa, I've ridden on a bus, an old, beat-up African bus, packed full of people, crammed into a seat, my back searing in pain where I really needed healing. Just, you know, oh God, you know, my body's not designed for this kind of trip. Say, God, by your grace, I get through this thing. The body's getting older. What I could have done 10 years ago. You know, if you have parents that are older, that are, that are, that are getting older, well, they, obviously they're getting older if they're here. I never minded seeing my parents get older. The, the hair, the wrinkles, just slowing, it never bothered me. But when I, my, and my father died before he really became elderly. But my, my mother is very elderly. We moved here to take care of her, my wife and I. My wife sends her greetings. She's a nurse. She has to work, so helps support what I'm doing around the world. When I'm gone, she does the snow and does the lawn and takes care of mom. She's the most amazing, amazing woman. It blesses me to travel away for three weeks while she holds the fort. 
I'm blessed for her for 44 years of marriage. And she's the real hero of this team, by the way. She goes through far more at home than I do overseas. So pray for her as well, too. But we take care of my mother, who's 91. We're watching advancing, advancing Alzheimer's. And, and when my mother, her mind started to go, it just, it just agonized to see the things she's lost. Always read out birthday cards to all the grandkids, kids and grandkids, great-grandkids. Stop doing that. Can't read anymore. Can't write anymore. Doesn't know what time of day it is. Doesn't even know if it's day or night anymore. We had to deadbolt the door so she wouldn't wander off. And it's just an awful thing to do. And she's watching her. I take her every day for a walk when I'm home. And she goes up to the, with her walker hunched over a little... It just kills me. It just hurts so bad to see that in my mother. But for the believer, there's a new body. There's a glorious body. There's a resurrected body that when he appears, he, and those that have already died, the graves are going to be open. He's going to reconstitute all that stuff. For those who have been blown apart in a building or 9-11, those that were, you know, incinerated at 9-11. He's going to bring that all back together again and give a new body for believers. The Bible says we have that hope. It should bring purity to us. Now, when we look at this return of Jesus Christ, when's he going to come? You can hear the books and the, get the CDs and listen to the the, the radio, and there was a guy not too long ago in the Philadelphia area that had big billboards. This guy, Howard Campy, figured it all out the day. And Christians all around the world had this day. They knew he was coming. By the way, he was wrong several times, and now he's in, in the grave. There's always predictors. But as you look at the Scripture, we see kind of a paradox of when he's going to come. It seems like there's these two truths that are taught that seem to be different. But we should never let Bible paradoxes upset us. For example, the Trinity is a paradox. One God taught cover to cover. Then we see that there's all, the, the, the Father is God, of course. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. One God, three distinct personalities called God. It's a paradox. We accept it because it's in the Bible. Another paradox is the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Sometimes we read about verses where, well, you know, God chose this person for this reason. Pharaoh, I've called for this reason. Judas from the beginning. We go like, what is that? And then we see over here that man has a free will to choose to accept or reject God. And we just say, you know what? I just accept them both. God's is God, sovereign God. Man has a free will. Every man can come to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior will preach that message. So that's, that's one of the paradoxes of Scripture. This is another one. In the New Testament, every time you read about a passage about the return of Christ, especially in, in, after the book of Acts, uh, Pauline and, and Peter and John's epistles, they're expecting Jesus to come in their lifetime. They're expecting it to happen. Um, so we read it, and, and even in the Gospels, Jesus said in Luke 12, 40, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come an hour you did not expect him. Now, if there was a list of checklists of signs, they would know. Check one, check two, check three. Check, okay, now we know. He said, he'll come 
when you don't expect him. But then we read in Matthew 24 and other places, there are signs. Tell us, they said, what, when will this happen? What will be the signs of your coming? Now, you could take verses and put it here and put it there. I'm just laying aside general principles. Not to give you prophetic knowledge, but to give you transformation of your life. Because that's the most vital. So, so don't be fighting me mentally because you're not agreeing with everything. Just look at the truth of Scripture. So, what's our response? And, and, and here's the key. We live like he can come at any time. Right now, right now. We, right here in church. Are you ready right now? Right now. We live that way. We should live that way. But we work to usher in his coming. The Bible says that we, as we reach the world, we can speed his coming by fulfilling his great commission. So let's look at this first aspect that we live like he can come anytime. So the Bible says we're to eagerly await it, that, that we have this expectation. We can't wait. We can't wait to see Jesus. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life trials will soon be over when we see Christ. You know, the great expert, oh yes, Lord, all the things, it's gone. So we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 1 John 3, 3, where we looked at earlier, all who have this hope in him purify themselves. So having this expectation that Jesus could come at any time leads to say, I want to be ready. Right? Jesus gave a parable about the ten, uh, the ten virgins with lamps. Five had oil, and they were ready when the bridegroom came, right? Five didn't have any oil. By the time they went out to get ready, it was too late. The door was shut. So they were not ready for the bridegroom. So this idea, this belief says, man, I want to live my life before God in such a way. I am ready. I don't want to be in places or do things so that I will be ashamed at his coming. So let's talk about this area of personal purity. How are we to live this life of purity in holiness before the Lord, so that when Christ comes, we are not ashamed at his coming. You know, this idea of being ashamed, you know, maybe you've had unexpected guests at your house and it was pretty cluttered. And you were embarrassed and ashamed that someone would see your mess, right? You ever had that happen to you? Can you imagine a guy in his house and he's, his house is a mess and he's sitting in front of the TV with pornography on. He's just polished off his first six-pack. He's on his second one. And, and, and the knock comes to the door. Pastor Jim's at the door. Yeah, you'd be, you don't even want to see him. You want to hide, right? You're not home, right? Because you're ashamed. How could he see me like this? Well, far greater... Jesus knows it all. He sees everything. So the Bible says we have this hope. We purify ourselves because we're expecting and waiting and eager for his return. We purify our minds. Romans 12, 2 
says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That as we feed our minds on the word of God, meditation and prayer, that we have, we have a new mind. It's not the old person that we used to be and all the junk that used to go through our heads. It's a new mind. Now, I, for many years, I, was, I got kind of on the ground floor of Facebook. I've been a regular Facebook user. I love to post ministry stuff and family stuff. But I've noticed that there, there's a pretty good-sized category of Facebook users that is their gripe place. Negative, critical, this person, that person. And it's just like, oh, I'm just so tired. Can't you say something nice? You have a new mind. You know, you're thinking about the things of God and the, the critical and judgmental nature is not a thing of the Lord. Interestingly, I read a, a sociological study recently where they're studying people that make negative comments. They're critical, they're judgmental, those kinds of things. They're complaining about it, griping. They wanted to find out how that affected people both in a both a emotional sense as well as a physical sense. And they found out this. I don't know how exactly how the statistics went for the study. They found out if you're going to have good mental health, emotional health, and physical health. The study said that you must make five positive, affirming comments to every negative one that you make. This is not a biblical study. That is, and the Bible says, the words that come out of our mouth should be for edifying or building up others. So as believers, we are not to be the ones negative and critical and judgmental because the Bible says, first of all, that's part of the, the life he's called us to live. And now studies say how much that can affect your, in fact, this study emphasized how much it affects your physical health by being a negative, critical, judgmental, complaining, griping person. God help us. How about our, our, our hearts? Matthew 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It refers, of course, to the mind as well as the heart, but what's inside, it does come out, right? So we say purify our hearts. The psalmist prayed in his sin, David, create me a clean heart, O God. My heart is dirty. It needs to be clean before God. That personal purity is, is, starts on the inside uh, of us. All relates, of course, to our words. Here's a scary verse, Matthew 12, 36. That we are to give an account on the day of judgment of every empty word we've spoken. Ephesians 5, 2 says, do not use obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting. I have noticed in the last decades of, of, of being in God's work, especially in the local church, that language by many people has become more, bar more coarse. Barnyard words that you would never have heard, you now hear regularly among the body of Christ. I think God is addressing this, that our speech should be pure and holy. Not just building up others, but what we say. That there's not a place for coarse jesting. Not a place to gather along with the guys and laugh with everyone else at a trashy joke. Should not be part of our personal 
walk in purity. So we practice personal purity because we want to be ready for his return. 1 John 2.28, we just looked at. So that when he appears, we may be unashamed before his coming. Ashamed or unashamed? So we practice personal purity. But we must also, another aspect is to preach the gospel to the whole world. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts all give us the great commission as Jesus' words, marching orders to his disciples and us. And this is the verse that motivates me in traveling around the world and ministering to other countries, starting schools in this passion to reach a million souls for Christ. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So again, we said we live like Christ will come at any time. We work to bring his coming in. So according to this verse, that God wants his word to go to all nations. Now this word nation is the word uh, ethne in the Greek language. We think today of a nation as a geopolitical boundary. Uh, here is India. Well, the gospel's gone to India, right? Yes, long time. But in India, there are groups of people that have, share a language and culture that have never been reached. Actually, over a thousand. A thousand places in India. There's no believers. There's no church. There's no preacher. There's no, not, no Bible translated into their language at all. And that's an ethne. All around the world. There, the Joshua Project, joshuaproject.net, has identified 6,000 groups of people who have yet to even hear the Word of God. Praying for these unreached groups, sending teams to these unreached groups that we want to take the message. Thank God this is a missionary church. You've sent out so many missionaries. You have a heart for that. I'm sure that I, I look at who's coming this summer and you just are wall to wall. Missionaries. But that's part of what God wants every church to do. Every Christian should be a great commissioned Christian that's in our heart and our prayers. Every church, a great commissioned church that we give and we go. And one of the ways God so blessed this place, I believe, is when we're getting ready to build that first phase of building. God spoke and said, unless you bless the nations, I'm not going to bless your building. And that turned us into a missionary church, and I believe God blessed much because of the focus on others. I, I find it amazing. I believe in tithing to the local church. I taught it, believe it, practice it. But I know churches, and, and I thought to myself, you know, we want people to trust God sacrificially, right? To right? Trust God for the tithe. Trust God for the 10%. Where's it going to go? I don't care. Trust God for that. We're going to trust God. But then I heard churches preach that over and over again. But then the church won't even begin to tithe outside the church. I said to one local church, you want people to trust tithing. Why don't you tithe 10% for missions? Now this church gives much more than that. You're well above that. And I know that. But I find churches that won't even give anything. But we want to take this message to the whole world. That's, that there's so many people that are doing just that. And maybe God may be calling you to that. To go to an unreached people group. Or to help translate the scriptures in a language that's not yet translated. So we must have the heart of God for the lost. 
later read this passage of Scripture because it's about the return of Christ. And people are saying, why hasn't he come back yet? You know, he said he would come. And Peter said, oh, wait a minute. Let me tell you why Jesus has not come yet. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise that is to return, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, you know, if, Lord, come to that. Get me out of this mess. Come to get day. What about the people that haven't heard yet? We live like he's going to come anytime. We work to bring his return by taking the gospel to every people group in every place in the world. And so 2 Peter 3.12 says, as you look forward to the day of God, that's his, that the whole context of this passage is his return, and we speed his coming. <laughs> so missiologists, those who study missions, talk about this word called closure. Saying, when are we going to get the Bible translated in every language? When are we going to have a, a, someone in that country reaching that people? When will we have a self-supporting church in that region? That's closure to the Great Commission. And Revelation 7-9 shows around the throne people from every tongue and tribe and nation. God's heart is for all the peoples of the world. So we work, we pray, we give for that to happen. So for the believer, the return of Christ, we need to be like him and practice that personal holiness. Be holy in all you do. It's not subscribing in my Bible college a list of, you know, okay, I'm a holy person. If I don't go here, go here, go here. But that what honors him. And then we need to reach every person we can for him before he returns. And it's too late. This is a scary thought. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. We talked about the foolish virgins that didn't have oil in their lamp and the door was shut. It was too late. The same context of Matthew 24, 25 speak about the ark. That in Noah's day, Noah preached a message of repentance and people did not listen to him. Only eight people were saved in the ark and that was only his family. But he preached, what was it, 120 years or something? Preached that message of repentance? When I was a little child, we had a Bible, pictorial Bible storybook that we had in our home. Many of you have that. You have it for your children. There's only one picture from this whole Bible storybook I ever remember. It was the scariest picture in the book because it was a picture of Noah's Ark floating on the water, covering the earth. Pictures before that was rain, you know. Pictures before the animals came and everything. The door was closed. The floodwaters rise, and this children's book showed the water around the world ark teeming with people, banging on the ark, screaming. I mean, as a kid, I, I, this freaked me out as a kid, like saying, like, they didn't reopen the door. In fact, it says in Genesis, and God shut the door. The door was shut. When Jesus returns, opportunities are lost. Again, back in those early days, there was so much talk about Jesus coming, and there was a, a song that just went through my head that said, I wish we'd all had been ready. Uh, sung by Larry Norman, if any of you remember that. And, and here are a few of the lyrics. 
a man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears. And one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Jesus is coming. We don't want to be ashamed. We don't want to be in places we oughtn't be, saying things we oughtn't say, having the thoughts in our mind that oughtn't be there, that we want our hearts and life purified before the Lord, and then we are taking our part and taking His commission to the nation. Whether we're praying, we're giving, we're, we're, whatever we're doing, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our mother, our father, someday it will be too late. Because life as we know it on this earth will come immediately to an end. Several years ago, I was in India. I was way in the north India in a very pagan area, very Hindu, very dangerous area at, at the border of Pakistan. High military alert. I think I strip searched, not strip searched, but patted down searched five times in the airport. I was in these remote areas, Punjab, and then up in the north into um, where, the, where the fighting over Pakistan is, the um, Kashmir region. Very dangerous. Got back to Delhi, a city of over 20 million people. Uh, some of you remember P.G. Vargas? He, he, has me, he, he asked me to come and then hosted me before I flew out of Delhi. He took me to a very nice restaurant. They had food that had Western flavor to it. So I, Indian food's okay for me for a while, but I was ready for... Anyway, took me to this very posh restaurant. It's very nice. Our last meal, I was flying out at 10 o'clock to head home for 30 hours of travel. So we're having, enjoying a nice meal there. And while we were there, we were waited on by two or three of the wait staff, but I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. Uh, Pastor Jim talked about words of knowledge and how God speaks and gives you words. Well, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and tell me to ask one particular waitstaff man a question. He was a college student, spoke excellent English, uh, educated man in a major city, not in a village area. And the Lord, I felt, prompted my heart to ask him a question. This is a question I've never asked anyone in my life before that or since then. But felt prompted to ask this question. It was this. I said, excuse me, let me just call him Joe. I said, I said, Joe, may I ask you a question? He said, certainly. I said, have you ever heard the name Jesus? Joe paused. Long pause. And I looked at him, and it wasn't like he was angry with the response. He was thinking. Like I kind of watched him go through the files of his mind of names. Then he looked at me so sincerely and said, Sir, I don't believe I've ever heard that name, Jesus. It floored me. I'll never forget it to this day, and that's why we do what we do, so people will hear the name and believe the name, Jesus. We want to see the throne populated from every tongue and tribe and nation. And we want to live our lives pure before God. What's our takeaway today? First of all, if he comes, are you ready? The first step of being ready is to know you're a child of God. To know that, that as the Bible says, you are born of God. 
The good news is there'll be people standing here in just a few minutes that can introduce you to him. You can leave here sins forgiven, changed. Or maybe you know you're living, a, you've been born again, but your life is one that does not please God at all. You're living a double life. Maybe last night you were at a place you should have never been, doing things you should have never done, and you're at church today with great guilt. Good news. He'll forgive you. These folks that gather here, whatever you tell them, it stays there. They're trained to keep whatever you say in confidence. They'll pray. It'll be released. You can leave with repentance and ask God to help you to live that life. Or you may be here, you have a heart for the nations. You've watched the missionaries sent out of this church. You've watched the pictures. You say, you know, I'm surrendering to go anywhere and do anything for God. Always find that walking to someone and speaking those words and confirming it with prayer is burning a bridge for the next stop. And there's always prayer for healing. Boy, we have, pastors, we have watched so many miracles happen at this altar. I saw, I saw sitting right here a woman get up out of a wheelchair one night at a healing service and push a wheelchair back and forth across this place. Whatever your need is, man, come to God in prayer for that thing. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to pray together. Father, we come in the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus, for the work of Jesus in this place. Lord, you are coming soon. We don't know what soon means, but we want to be ready. If there's anyone here that's not ready, God, because they've never received you or they're living an unrighteous life, Lord, they would run and leave here changed. If there are those who have a call on their life, God, I pray, Lord, today, God, they would just confirm that call and to go to one of those unreached people groups or another place you would send them, God, to reach the unreached for you. Holy Spirit, may no one respond to the words of man, but to the inner urgings of the Holy Spirit of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you, would, I'm going to ask my prayer team to come, our prayer team to come right here and stand across the front. These folks are here. We're going to close in just a moment. But if you need prayer for the things I mentioned or anything, there are folks here that will minister to you. Need Christ today. Already coming. Return to Christ today having a prayer need or, or surrender to the mission's work, then the altar is here. Pastor Jim, anything else further? All right. Father, touch every heart today. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the perfect peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds on Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God bless you.